Hello, it's Lita here from Community Finance Ireland, and welcome to our podcast series. Changemakers are in every community, they're in every city, and they're down every rural road, right across the island of Ireland. This series meets with those amongst us who choose change. Their stories demonstrate what can be done when we work together. And here at Community Finance Ireland, we speak finance, but we hear people. And we really do hope you enjoy listening to them. Uh, Good afternoon, um, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in to Community Finance Ireland's podcast. We're down here today in Clock Jordan Community Farm in Tipperary. I'm in the kitchen with Eileen Brannigan, Director of the Clock Jordan Community Farm Board. Eileen, thanks very much for coming and talking to us and the listeners today. We're delighted to be here. I know it's a little bit wet, but we've still been able to have a look around and see this incredible facility that you have down here. Tell the listeners a little bit about the community farm and what you're doing down here. Well, um, our community farm is uh, probably Ireland's first and biggest CSA farm. And Mm -hmm. a CSA farm is community supported agriculture. Yeah. And so we operate uh, on a membership basis. Um, Our members pay a subscription, an annual subscription, and we pay our farmer from that or our land steward, as we like to call him. And this is Kevin that we met earlier this is, in the This tunnel. is it. And how many of the local uh, people here could make a subscription? Is that, How many of There's them about there? 90 people okay. uh, or so. And that, that only includes the adults because the children eat for free. So the okay. adults pay a subscription. So we probably have, we're feeding over 100 people here okay. in the local community. So when yeah. we came down here today with the crew, we've, we were able to walk down through into what is definitely a farm and we can see an awful lot of beautiful fresh vegetables. But we can also see a big kind of enterprise centre and then behind you sure. you've got a number of bespoke built houses that families are living in. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. We have about 55 houses built here. Okay. There are sites for about 130 in total. Okay. And uh, we have, you know, the recession hit and building halted a little bit, but now we're having a renewed interest in in living here and living in this way. So the sustainable ethos of the eco-village spills over into the work that we do in the community farm also. So what's the type of footfall that you have on a daily basis in and out of here? Well, we have, we do village tour, eco-village tours every weekend. And okay. in, a, in a year, we probably have something like seven or 8,000 people visiting. Yeah. So at the weekends, it'd be anything from like, you know, five to 25 people yeah. coming to do eco-village tours and just to see where we live. There's a great, there's great interest. Some of those people remain in contact with a view to perhaps looking to buy a site or to, to live here and in the future. And live here. Yeah. Um, what, tell us a little bit about how you got involved because I know when I was talking to you earlier, you'd said to me that you'd studied law, that yeah. you come originally from Northern Ireland, that yes. you studied in Dublin. Uh, so, and, the, you know, yeah. the gap between studying law and coming down here to an eco-sustainable village. That's quite a story. So give us a little bit of sense of how you actually came here and why. Yeah, well, I think um, I lived with my partner, Joanna, and our son, Dulta, in Stony Batter yeah. uh, in Dublin. And um, I think living there, it's a very close-knit community. We yes. were quite happy there. We had a nice quality of life, you know. Um, but we realised that our son, when our son was born and as he grew older, we realised we'd be driving him to play dates and okay. that he would have no one supervised play. And living in the city, you know, it's not that easy to open the front door and let your kids out. And yes. we realised that I had a hankering for the kind of lifestyle that I might have had from time to time whenever my family were from Monaghan and we'd go and run across the fields. Yeah. Someone would whistle you home for dinner. Yeah. So we decided um, to explore this. Also, I was made aware through street feasts and so on and the um, 
kind of ecologically aware community in Stony Batter that, you know, uh, there were some issues that piqued my interest then. So we, we made the decision to come and uh, live a more, uh, a quieter and slower pace of life where yeah. our son would have more independence and the eco-village was ideal. There's lots of common land here for the kids to run around in. My yeah. son can walk back and forth to the school every day. Yeah. He has, he can run off with his friends and we are whistling him home for dinner. So it was a family decision and a life stage yes. decision that got you involved. It was, yes. And, you know, 7,000 people coming down here a year, all of this busyness that's happening when we're here. I mean, there's just people popping up everywhere. Yeah. What do you think makes it so successful down here? I think, you know, I think thing, when we first came down here, perhaps this place was seen as kind of cutting edge, alternative Mm. I think uh, this kind of lifestyle, if you like, and ecologically aware lifestyle, environmentally aware lifestyle is it's becoming, quite, is becoming yeah. more mainstream. Yeah. People are very interested. They're a little anxious about the future yeah. and about how that consumerist lifestyle, that heavily consumerist lifestyle mm. is people are starting to ask questions about it. Yeah. And to be honest, since coming down here, I've, I've become even more aware of that and how you know, we, we, our carbon footprint is a good bit smaller than like yeah, the traditional villages, if you like, in the sense, you know, um, we're a bit more aware. We measure what we consume here in a sense. Yeah, and I suppose wise. The, t- the ticking thing that happens to all of you is your social impact. Like what this are you it. doing? What's the impact yeah. that you're leaving? So yeah. in your experience, what are the best sort of social impacts that you see in play every day down here in Clock Jordan? I think it is that. I think it's living a more aware life, a less wasteful life in a mm. sense. You know, um, we have a local, our local community farm obviously is uh, on our doorstep with the healthy veg, non-packaged veg. You go yeah. up and you get it straight from the ground. Mm. It's not covered in plastic. Yeah. We have a local bread maker um, who produces incredibly good quality bread. And we this is the these. great Julie. And we had this some of right, her yeah, sourdough yeah. bread earlier. Yeah. And then we had some of the homemade soup. And That's just right. The, and you're right about the flavour of the vegetables. It does. Yeah. And the bread. Everything is so fresh. Yeah. So there is a, that is definitely something that people are looking for and looking for whether they live in the city or they live yeah. rurally. I, I think people, yeah, and eating seasonally is a huge yes. thing. Eating yes. seasonally is something that uh, I only really started to do when I moved here. Yeah. Like all city people, I, you know, there is, it's quite easy to get uh, um, a lot of exotic ingredients quite easily. Mm. Um, but here uh, we actually see what's available, what's available seasonally in the coach house where our veg is delivered. Yeah. We have a look at that and then we conjure a meal out of those So you think you're more creative in terms of how you can cook because yeah. you can't actually, you can't yeah. order a takeaway really like you could <laughs> yeah. when you're in Stony Batter. Tell me, um, yeah. so one of the things that surprised me when I came down was just the vastness of it, you know, the size of it when we were mm. walking around. And I was really surprised about the Enterprise Centre. So what else surprises people when they come for the first time? What do you hear when those visitors, 7,000 of them come every year? I think it ranges from surprise at the um, the styles of architecture, for example. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. some people have this sort of slightly cliched view that we're all living like troglodytes and kind yeah. of like Hobbitville. Yeah. And in actual it's fact, a lot of a lot like of our that. houses demonstrate yeah. sort of more cutting edge technologies from passive houses to to tra- more traditional purist uh, builds like with cob and natural slate and so on and recycled materials. So there's a great variety of builds that sort of show people the 
um, the range of options available if you want to live like a more eco-friendly, environmentally aware life in the sense uh, of conserving your heating and so on. And, and they were so warm when we were in them. I mean, yes. the house that we went into earlier, it felt to me like we dropped into Stony Bath. There was that kind of yeah. almost hipster feel into it. And it was <laughs> so warm. We couldn't actually believe it. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit then about the funding for this scale of a project. So the yeah. Enterprise Centre, the houses, the farm, the people. Mm. I mean, how do you fund that? Where did you start? Because you're 12 years in now. That's right. Um, I think the very beginning, you know, it was one of those things where um, there was a group involved with the very beginning, the foundationally. I think um, some grants were attracted. It's one of those things where the financial part sort of uh, grew with the project, as it were, mm. and we were able to attract more funding. We actually have charitable status, which helps because we are an educational project. And okay. our whole mission is to raise awareness around how to live a more sustainable life okay. and a more environmentally aware life. As a result, our educational aspect is something that we invest heavily in, in the sense of we invest time and energy and volunteering energy. Yeah. And also we're able to attract a little bit of funding that for that from time to time. Um, but we rely heavily on volunteerism here. Um, we have a lot of people who are very active in the community. We all sort of sign up, as it were, um, to doing at least 100 hours a year mm. towards how we live here communally. Um, and whatever that consists of, whatever, if we, you get involved with the board or if you get involved with the, the management of the place mm -hmm. or if you get involved with uh, just simply doing what we call mehels, which is like a big gang of people come together and say... Mehels, where does that word come sort of, from? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good Irish word for sort of like a fun gathering or party of people I like who that. come together and perform tasks like, you know, even clearing the weeds from in front of the coach house, that kind of thing, or, you know, um, doing some planting together okay. um, and clearing some weeds out of the stream to allow the water to flow a little yeah. more freely and so on. You know? And then I suppose there's some stages in the development because obviously you and the team as we talk to them you've got great ambitions for this and it goes in stages so different stages need different kind of funding and there's a sort of slight tipping point for that Yeah. Um, and I know you'd mentioned to us earlier that the tipping point for you was the warm summer last year when you needed to actually get water into the oh, vegetables yeah. Yeah. so it was at that point that you were looking for somebody to fund you so you can get that injection of cash. What happened at that point? Well, at that point, we, re we realised that we would have to approach a lending institution that understood what we were about. So we decided to, I mean, Community Finance Ireland came to mind because they, they definitely um, are supportive of innovative community projects. Mm. And they are like looking to support people who are taking an alternative approach uh, to you know and create a more sustainable life for and improve resilience in local communities mm -hmm. so we we did approach them with a view to um moving our farm onto a different level basically yeah. you know instead of surviving and just tipping along we thought if we had money to buy um, equipment and irrigation that we needed that we could actually move into a more productive level and be more of an example for other people to follow. And so the team come down here and have a look, you meet with yes. a number of them and you have a conversation about it. I mean, how was that overall experience going to an alternative lender? How did you find that? Well, I mean, I, I've, we find it amazingly positive, to be honest. Mm. Um, more positive than we would have expected from yeah. a financial institution. There was yeah. a very human face, a very warm, approachable take on on what we were doing and also uh, they were incredibly encouraging yeah our experience with community finance ireland was kind of startling in that it was much easier than one would have expected and much uh much more 
positive than one would have expected from a financial institution. When Rose Halley came to visit the farm, she showed genuine interest in what we were doing. She asked to be shown around our farm and showing our methodologies and showing how we save seeds, how we grow seeds, how we propagate plants, how we tend to the soil, how we put green manures in, how we build up the soil. She showed genuine interest and also um, didn't make us feel like we were odd for not ticking all the usual conventional boxes, which you sometimes get with financial institutions if you don't fit into a certain mould uh, or you have to justify your existence. We didn't get that feeling with Rose. We got the feeling that we were doing something that was genuinely useful. And she was very warm and approachable and made us feel that what we were doing was valuable, which is very unusual for a financial lending institution. I've never come across it before. Um, so I was pretty impressed by her take and by her, you know, her take on us and by her, her encouraging approach. I mean, she made it clear that we would have to meet certain requirements to be considered and so on. But uh, she was very encouraging and constructive with, uh, with her guidance on that. And yeah, it was a pleasure, uh, which I wouldn't say is often the case in these situations. Um, they really took a, a genuine interest in our approach, in our you know, approach to sustainable food growing. Um, they were interested in our links with the local community yeah, and how course. involved the local community is with, with our project and what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Um, so we find that incredibly positive and surprisingly so to me. I, I just was amazed that we weren't seen as uh, too odd to fit into the mould it was we were very much told that you know no um what you're doing is useful and valuable and so um when you think then about you know where you've got to in terms of this project now where you actually live and you're growing here mm -hmm. with your family and you're raising your yeah. son other people in other communities may be saying i see something that i'd like to do in my community they may actually have this desire to you know know where their food is mm -hmm. from how what have you learned from your process that you can share with some of the listeners about what and how they may go about that? What have you learned about it yourself? Well, I think, you know, what I think is really interesting is if you see someone doing something interesting and it looks achievable, you're given the courage to do it yourself. And we do run open days and we run mm. days where people can take a tour around the farm yeah, and see yeah. aspects which they could bring into their own lives. I mean, it's hard to come down to a community farm based in an eco-village and say, how would this affect me in my urban area? Yeah. But you could, for example, start seed saving if you're growing tomato plants, yes. even in a window box or even yeah. in a glass house, a small yeah. glass house where you live. You start saving the seeds from those. Yeah. You can, you've learned a, a mechanism of actually providing your own food security into the future. So yeah. you can take little aspects of what we do. What I'd say is, though, if you get like a group of like-minded people together... Yeah. So it, you were talking to us earlier yeah. about Kevin, who calls himself the lead harvester. Yeah. So he's kind of like-minded in that he's kind of got that big vision. That seems to be an important part of success, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think, you know, you all have to... You're in share. it together. We're in it together. And it's, cause it's a very bonding experience because it's not something that's necessarily supported by state or anything, yeah. you know, but we, we're hoping eventually they'll sit up and take notice because this, as far as we're concerned, is the way forward. Yeah. So, Eileen, I wanted to say thank you for inviting us down. We've had a fantastic time yeah. between seeing the vegetables coming out, the enterprise centre, the houses that people are living in, and the whole feel that we have down here, despite the fact that it's raining today. It's an absolutely fabulous place, and I would recommend anybody to come down, get some veg and come and visit and see what way you can live and thank you very much for having us. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
From our team at Community Finance Ireland, thank you to those volunteers and leaders who spent time sharing their success and determination. We hope you found some useful insights while listening here. Their stories demonstrate that dreamers are always welcome in our communities. You may be a dreamer today, but you too could be the change maker of the future. Be sure to subscribe to this series and tune in to hear our next story coming soon.